Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. We are in chapter three of the book of Shemot, um, kind of on the precipice of one of the great iconic scenes of our holy text that we're going to do deliciously slowly rather than just run over it and assume we know everything about the scene, um, which is one of the great joys of studying at this pace, right? We all, we all, we all can tell the story very quickly, uh, but it's a different thing to go in through each, each syllable. So uh, I have us on chapter three of the book of Exodus, of Shemot, uh, verse two, um, because we finished everything, I believe, on verse one. Uh, I don't even think that we... I don't remember if we read verse two, and if we did, we didn't spend a lot of time with it. So yeah, verse two of the Rashi. Yeah. So let's read. Um, let's read the verse to kind of get us going, and then we'll jump in uh, to the Rashi. Uh, Marshall, would you be willing to read verse two, Vayar? Vayera, excuse me. Yes. Vayar Malach Adonai Elav Belabat Esh Mitoch Hasneh. Vayar v'hine hasne bo'er ba'esh v'hasne enenu ukal. And so I'll, I'll just read Robert Alter's translation. Um, and the Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. And he saw, and look, the bush was burning with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Good. So it's an interesting um, translation decisions that Alter made. Um, he translates Labat Eish as the flame of the fire. So Eish is fire, and Labat he's translating as flame. Rashi, as we're going to see in a second, says something similar, but it's not obvious because what's the, even if it's not like, certain, what, what's a more obvious understanding of the etymology of the source of the word Labat? Anybody want to hazard a guess? What, what, what? Lehava. Okay, so it, it sort of sounds like lehava. Right? is like a like like a flame, right? So that could be. But what else does it all if if we're looking at the letters in order, what else does it look like? Lehava heart. Heart. Right? So it's again, it's one of those moments where we all know. We all know what we're supposed to imagine in our mind at these words, but we're more curious than that. We want to know what does the word mean, um, particularly because lev as a noun is a hard, is, is not an easy word to decline, like the, the grammatical use of the word decline, which is what you do for nouns, right? You conjugate verbs, you decline nouns. Um, and when uh, the word heart or hearts um, is in smichut, where it's the heart of something. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not intuitive how to connect the word lev to something else. Sometimes it's just lev hashamayim, as we're going to see, and nothing happens to the word lev. But sometimes the word lev is transformed when it becomes part of something. Um, and we just don't know. Uh, we do know what, what Uncleus thought. If you look, look over Uncleus, and I'll give the same caveat, Uncleus is old, doesn't mean he's right but it tells us what, what, what a contemporary reader of the text thought it meant back then. V'it gali, he appeared. Who appeared? Malacha Daronai, the angel of God, lay to him. Beshal huvit, 
Shalhevet, he appeared to him at a high, in a high school on Fairfax. Tova smiling, right? A Shalhevet is, um, is, a, is like a longer version of the word lahav, it, a, a flame. So he translates labat as shalhevet. Again, he doesn't think of himself as a commentator. He thinks of himself as a translator. He thinks that's what the word means. Vishalhuvit ishata, in the flame of the fire. Let's pause for a second. Let's say Alter is right. Let's say uh, Uncleus is right. What does that mean? What, what, how is saying that, that the angel appeared in the flame of the fire different than saying he appeared in the fire? What does the flame of the fire even mean in English? Rick, Rick, sorry, I saw your hand was up. Yeah, but you're muted. There you Hi. Go. Um, I looked back at the Garden of Eden, and there it's lahat. It's the flame there, lahat hacherev. Of course, we don't have a cherev here, but I just wanted to throw that in. That I was looking to see if it was the same word. So the lama's the same, but um, and the hay, but yeah. right. the, the, it's lahat, a tet there, lahat, lahat with a tet. Shall have that. These are all not necessarily from the same etymology, but but they, they they're certainly alliterative. And they have to do with something about a fire. But I still want to know what does it mean to you in English or in Hebrew if I say that something appeared not only in the fire but in the flame of the fire? How does that add? How is that not redundant? I see Larry Diane's hand and then Barry's hand. And then uh, Norm and Rachel. Very simply, if the fire would be the bush itself or what's below, what's, what's being consumed, and the flame of the fire, I'm thinking of what's rising up out of, the, out of the fire. So it gives me the image of the angel hovering, uh-huh. actually over or hovering inside the bush. He's not connected to the ground. And how does that, interesting, and how does that jive with the next two words, because me in Hebrew can mean, interestingly, both from and within. Like, it can be, the, the me or mean can both mean to exclude and include simultaneously. That's the wonderfulness of the language. So your reading would have to be something like, um, the angel appeared hoveringly in the, in the, in the, in the outside flame of the fire, which was coming out from within the sneh, as opposed to saying that it took place mito inside the sneh. Is that how you would read it? That's how I'm imagining it, given what you've asked about the concept of flames as opposed to fire. Got it. Okay. Barry, then Norm and Rachel, I saw Tova's hand, but now it's down. Barry. Oops, sorry, I unmuted you by accident. Go ahead, Barry. I got to unmute. Okay, you're back. Uh, my older brother Phil and I used to play with candle flame. Uh, uh, we would uh, strike our finger across the flame. We realized that the top part of the flame was too hot to put your finger across. But you put put your finger across the bottom part. That's the yellow, the, the yellow part of the flame. You, you, we could go back and forth across that that heart of the fire and not burn ourselves. But if you put our finger in the blue part above, it would burn our finger. So you're reading Labat H as the lower part, the, the yes. cooler part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the, the yellow part of the flame. If you look at a flame, right, it is the, yep, the yellow and then there's blue, blue on top. And raise, the yellow your part, hand, raise your hand, everybody, if you think now is a perfect time for Barry to do some show and tell. <laughs> well, I, I'd, be, I'd be happy to. I'll, I'll bring one. Um, yes, I remember playing a version of that game as well. So that would, that would mean Labat H. The 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 um, the flame of the fire 
the, the more tolerable part of the fire, which is not as super hot. Norm, Rachel? Okay. I, um, it seems to me that a fire is made of multiple flames and that the flames extend up and out and often if you're looking you're thinking about the image of a campfire as compared to a single candle. a candle may have a fire of only one flame a campfire is going to have or a fireplace fire is going to have multiple flames that move around and I was thinking more of uh, a flame of the fire. It, it's it's moving, and but but it can be in more than one place. Flames move around, and fires grow and fires contract, but they don't move around in the same way. Yeah, I, I've been. From a child fascinated by the physics of fire before I even could frame it in the language of physics. Um, and to this day, when I look at a fire, I'm sometimes entranced by the question of what is determining the three-dimensionality of the flame at any given moment. Right? At any given moment, why is the why is the flame that particular shape? Why is it flickering? Does it only have to do with the air currents in the room? Is there something else going on? And what and what is even what is the fire, right? If you could pause a flame in a particular moment, how would you even define what is present in that three-dimensionality of, of, of the fire? So we know that fire is a mystifying and extraordinary thing. And we know that Torah is trying to tell us something significant here, right? There, there's a reason why it does not say, right? There's something about which we're supposed to figure out. There is a rolled doll short story called you know, like the, the wonderful tale of Henry sugar, which I read as a child as part of a, a larger book of short stories. And if it, it was, um, it was so compelling to me that I believed it as a child about a, a person named Henry sugar, who by staring into the centerpiece of a flame for hours and hours and hours and hours, trained his eye to be able to uh, look past um, ba- barriers. And he could, he could, he could start to see through things because by staring at the flame, he actually transformed his visual acuity. Uh, I was so taken by that. And it's another example of what is entrancing about, about a flame. We're about to see there's a very interesting machloket that's not happening in real time between Rashi and Ibn Ezra about how we should think about this word labat. You'll see that Rashi hedges his bets and Ibn Ezra does not. I'm, I'm debating out loud which one we should read first. I suppose we should read Rashi first because that's our won't. Um, and then I want to make sure that we don't forget to read Ibn Ezra. So, uh, Barry, your hand is up. I hope your hand is, is safe, too. <laughs> uh, I, I just will push my, my hand across the flame if you could see that. Um, it, it, interesting. Uh, we, we have in, in the, 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 the holy uh, ceremonies of sacrifice, uh, we're going to read later, uh, a smoke, but we, we, we don't have fire. The, 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 the Canaanites did a lot of stuff with fire, but we, we don't have fire in our ceremonies. Right. We, um, and we name 
Molech, the, 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 the god of fire, um, as a terrible evil when we get to that part of the Torah. Um, but we, we, don't, we don't have fire in our, in our, well, I'm not sure we don't have fire. We don't, we don't, we don't actually use the fire directly as part of the r- rituals, but you also can't do, the, the altar um, cannot be uh, ignited without the fire. So fire itself is not something that the Torah eschews. It's just not um, the centerpiece of the, of the, of the ritual. Um, let's look at Rashi. Marshall, would you please read um, the Labat Esh? Uh, we can't hear you, Marshall. Okay. Sorry. Okay. The um, Labat Esh is Bishal Hevet Esh in the flame of the fire, which Rashi understands as Libo Shel Esh okay, in so the heart of the fire. So you can see very quickly that Rashi wants his cake and he also wants to consume it, even though the bush was not consumed, right? Mm-hmm. So first he says, um, Uncle is right. The way to translate Labat Esh is Shalhevet. But I can't get away from the fact that Labat also is Lev. So I'm going to say it means both. I'm going to say that Labat means Shalhevet, but what Shalhevet means is heart. So he, he can't decide, right? Uh, it would have been cleaner if he says the word Labat means Shalhevet, and this is the flame of the fire and go down that route. Or if he said, what is Labat? Labat is heart. And how would we, and if it's heart, then how are we supposed to understand it? And we've been discussing if it's flame of the fire, different possibilities. If it's the heart of the flyer, of the fire. And remember that we English thinkers use the word heart in a very interesting way. It's not necessarily how every culture across time uses the word heart. When we say something is at the heart of the matter, we mean it's the center, right? It's the ikar, it's the, it's the principle. That's not necessarily how every uh, um, linguistic culture has used it. What do we think Rashi might mean by saying that shalhevet esh means libo shel esh? What are some possibilities? Tova, Renee? Uh, well, taking the tack that it may have been more uh, towards the mind rather than the heart, the intellect. Uh, maybe the essence of the fire, the thing that defined the fire, the mystery of the fire, if you will. Uh-huh. So, so referring less to the, um, the GPS, like the spot within the fire where it appears, uh-huh. but something about the, um, the, the essential mystery of what fire is from that kind of conceptual place is where the angel uh-huh. appears. Renee? I'm thinking more like the soul, similar, I guess, to Toa, the soul or the neshama. Right. And, and then we'd have to ask, like, what does it mean to say that a fire has a soul? Right. Um, and are we trying, is the Torah trying to paint a visual picture or trying to say something about the nature of the revelation? Those are two different things. With, with this two word phrase, labat esh, are we supposed to have a better image in our mind of what it looked like? So if we're direct, if we're Cecil B. DeMille, we know how better to depict it. Or are we being taught something about the experience that Moshe had with the presence of God in the middle of this, of this bush. Right. And we haven't even gotten to me right. From, from within the bush. Right. Look what Rashi continues to do as Marshall reads. So Rashi knows that we might have a question. We reader, he wasn't anticipating English speakers using the word heart in the 21st century, but he was anticipating, you know, French speakers in the 12th century who know the Hebrew word lev, but not necessarily knowing what he means by saying that it was libo shel esh. So he gives us some 
biblical examples. Okay, go ahead. Okay, from Devarim, chapter 4, verse 11. <laughs> Lev HaShamayim, the heart of the heaven. Okay, so I'm going to pull up each of these to show them to you because I want us to look at them in context. They're, they're really interesting. So one second. Um, okay. So um, chapter 4 of the book of Devarim, verse 11. This is the beginning of Moshe's retelling of the story of all of Exodus and the work and the uh, walking through the desert. And now Moshe is recalling Sinai. This is not from Yitro where it happens. This is Moshe's recall of Sinai. Vatik Ravun, Moshe is speaking to the people. You came close, Karov. Vata Amdun, you stood. Tachar Hahar, underneath the mountain. That phrase Tachar is also used um, back in Shemot. It's the source of the, of the Midrash. It's saying, why is it Tachar? Because God lifted up the mountain and threatened the Israelites, saying, if you accept Torah, then you're fine. If you don't accept Torah, I'm going to smash the mountain down on your head. The Hahar, the mountain, Boer Ba'esh, was a flame in fire. Boer is an interesting Hebrew word, which means to be ignited, right? to be lit. Ad Lev HaShemayim. What's interesting about Rashi's choice of this verse is that he, the phrase in which Lev appears is not about fire, but fire is the, is the immediate in, uh, preceding word, which is what we're talking about in our verse. Ad Lev HaShemayim. The mountain was a flame of fire up through towards the Lev HaShemayim which is translated in here. I forgot who's, which translation Safaria uses um, in their translation of Tanakh. It might be JPS. Translated here as ablaze with flames to the very skies, right? That's sort of a, uh, a, a cheeky, right? It doesn't really help you understand how that translator is undying, understanding the word. Everett Fox on this verse says, you came near, you stood beneath the mountain, now the mountain was burning with fire up to the, now he puts in a parenthesis, very, end of the parenthesis, heart of the heavens. So Ever Fox is saying the word is lev. Lev means heart. But in English, the, made, uh, the way to understand what he thinks the Torah is saying is to say that something is going to the very heart of something, it's, it's, it's the, 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 the center of it or the essence of it. I still don't know what the image is. I don't know what it means for flame to go to the heart of the heavens. Does that mean halfway between what, where we are and the edge of what we can see? Is it the center? Does it mean it reaches the horizon? It doesn't really help. But Rashi thinks it helps because Rashi is saying what Lev means in our verse in, in Deuteronomy is the same thing it means in the verse in Shemot. To the heart of something. Okay? Um, Choshech uh, Anan Barafel. It was very dark and cloudy. Okay, that's um, the first one that Rashi brings. Keep going, Marshall. Okay, from the second book of Samuel, chapter 18, verse 14. Belev Ha'elah. Okay, so look at this verse. This is the, um, the killing of Av Shalom. Very uh, interesting and troubling story in the second book of Samuel. Uh, we can talk about that another time, but we're just looking at the word here. As Avshalom is killed, look how the Tanakh describes it. Vayomer Yoav, Yoav replied, Lo chen, uh, I'm not going to wait, Lefanecha, in your presence. Vayikach shloshash vatim, he took three, interesting, shevet here does not mean tribe, but a dart, or a, some kind of a, a sharp implement. Bechapo, in his palm. 
Vayitka'em, he thrust them, he impaled them, Belave Av Shalom, into the heart of Av Shalom. Very interesting question. What does Lave mean here? Rashi seems to believe that what is, this means here is not his heart. Because if it meant, if Rashi thought that Lev here meant his organ heart, he wouldn't use it as a proof text to explain our verse, because clearly there's no organ heart of the fire. Rashi thinks this means he got, those darts got thrust into his, his midsection, right? Like the center of him, it's translated here as chest. Odenu Chai, he was still alive. The Lev Ha'ela. He was still alive as he was there in the Lev Ha'ela. Actually, now that I think about this um, out loud, I realize that the part of the verse that Rashi quotes is Lev Ha'ela, the, the, the heart of that, of that tree, not the Lev Avshalom. So maybe Rashi does read the Lev Avshalom as his actual heart. Lev appears twice in the verse. The Lev Ha'ela, it's hard to pronounce, Lev Ha'ela, in the heart of this terebinth tree, some, somehow um, amidst it. The way it's translated here is the thick growth of it. Okay? Um, let's read. So let's, let's pause there, because then Rashi's going to move in a different etymological um, uh, direction for thoughts and comments so far on how Rashi is helping us understand Lev. Any? Okay. So then, um, Marshall, keep reading. And do not be surprised by the letter Tav. For we have like it, things which are like it. But pause. What, what, what is, you translated it perfectly, but what's Rashi saying? What's Rashi saying when he says, do not be surprised by the tough? What tough? The tough and the word labat. Right. So both examples that Rashi used so far has the word lev, the heart of something, with the word lev not transformed. Lev hashamayim, right? And lev ha'ela. Not labat, lev. So he's, he's saying, reader, you might be confused. I've just given two examples where the word lev is not transformed when it's part of a two-word phrase, smichut. Don't get hung up on that because we have examples where lev, when it's part of this um, of a noun phrase being modified by another noun gets transformed. And what is the example that he brings? Uh, now I know the word umlal means unfortunate, but I have a translation here of amula as weak is your heart. So let me show you it in the, um, in the original. And that's from Yechezkel. So here it is in the 16th chapter of Yechezkel, Ezekiel. Again, we could spend plenty of time just translating this verse. We're going to only spend a little bit of time. Ma amula libatech. The way it's translated in this translation is how sick was your heart? It could be sick, weak, downcast. Um, when there's a second lamed umlal, to be umlal means to be very, very sad. Um, umlal is clearly built off of the, the, the root here. The exact similitudes. And here, it's an interesting proof text because what he doesn't show here is an example of Lev in Smichut as Labat. He shows us that sometimes when Lev is declined, is, is, is formed in, in, a, in a construction, a tough appears. Clearly here, this is referring to Lev, your heart, but the tough just shows up. What's, what's a little bit weak about Rashi's, um, about Rashi's um, comment here is that most people understand that Lev 
can sometimes appear masculine and sometimes it can appear feminine. And the reason why the tough appears here is because this is the feminine um, um, version of the, of, of the word. And that would have been a cleaner way for him to answer it, right? He, he just says, compare our labat eish to libatech. There's a tough there. But he doesn't get into what might be gendered about that. Um, we've, got, we've got that in several different places where lev just appears in feminine form rather than its normal masculine form. Uh, Rick and then Barry. Sorry, I got excited there. I, I found something on Vayera and Vayar. I'll, I'll wait till we get to that. That's okay. Barry. Okay. Uh, so going back again to the, the, I'm not a physicist, but I suspect there is a, a, a weaker and a stronger, a, a not as hot and hotter part of a flame. The, 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 the center of the uh, yellow of the flame would, would be the, the weaker area. And, and when it comes together in the pointy part, it, it's stronger and more, more focused and, and very strong. And, and I, I think that the lave would be the, the center part. We said the soul, the, the, the heart, the feminine, the, and uh, the, the, there could be something to be uh, existing there in that center without being destroyed in the upper part. Yeah, um, uh, very interesting because how, as we dance around this, right, some pun somewhat intended, we're still trying to figure out what is what is germane, what is significant about the Torah describing the scene in this way. And even after reading Rashi and trying to guess what Rashi means by Lev, we, we, we haven't really solved that puzzle. Uh, Rebecca? So I, I am actually thinking that the, I guess I should say I am a physicist, so I know a little bit, but I think when you have a fire, and I, I don't know the physics of it well, but What's happening at the center is actually the, the reaction is at the center. What you're seeing in the flame is the result of the burning and the center where it's actually happening. There's no color. You don't actually see anything. And so I would think that, you know, the what he's seeing is right at the center of that flame. So he's of the fire. So it's not the actual flame. I would understand it that way, especially after seeing all the other places where Lev shows up as the thick of the tree or, or uh, so that's my, would be my interpretation that it's in the center where everything is trans is actually um, translucent or, or. <laughs> Very interesting. And I think um, Renee offered something similar as well, right? There's, there is a part before the yellow where you could sort of look through it. It, it looks hazy, right? It, or looks, um, not hazy, like uh, it looks kind of wiggly, right? Right. You can see on the other side of it, whereas if you look straight into the yellow, the yellow blocks, right? You don't, you don't see, which is sort of the exact opposite of what Larry was suggesting, which is that the Balabat Eish is the, is the outer part of the flame that, that it was emerging from within the snap, but not actually in the snap, right? Which is a great way of saying, we don't really know. This is, this is, this is God's first revelation to the the great leader of our people that's going to lead to Exodus. And we have no, 
it also doesn't matter that much, right? But in terms of the story, but we have no idea what the Torah wants us to have in our mind when we consider this scene. Um, if you look back, I mentioned before, Cecil B. DeMille, obviously the technology in the, I remember those late 50s, or early 60s was very different than it is now. It's kind of a pitiable uh, image of that um, kind of smoldering um, bush where God is making God self-manifest. But maybe it's a honorable attempt at trying to make sense of, of, of a pretty inscrutable set of words. Um, I've see, I see uh, Larry, Diane, and then um, Leonard, Rebecca, and then I want to compare Rashi to uh, Ibn Ezra. Okay, and then I see Toba. Larry, Diane? Oops, I, again, I muted you by accident trying to unmute you, not realizing you'd already unmuted yourself. There you go. So I want to think about, uh, to expand a little broader into this idea of a messenger of God that's in the flame. I mean, one of, so one issue is that the messenger of God is actually the flame, that, that in some sense, you're seeing an image of this messenger in flame, which is odd, um, especially since the messengers of God we've seen, I think up until now, have been sort of corporeal, um, as in you know, with Avraham. Um, and, and later on, we're astounded that the snake isn't burned, but what about the messenger of God? So it, it's, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. It's just interesting. You know, we don't talk about these things beforehand. <laughs> I, I wanted to say something very similar. We jumped into the flame. I know Rick wants to go back and talk about the Yera, the word, and I also wanted to ask at some point, what happened to the Malach? And I want to ask, maybe if not now, later on, what happened to the Malach? Because he disappears completely from the story. And this also is something we saw before in Bereshit several times, that a Malach or Malachim came and all of a sudden it was God. This transformation from the messenger of God into the voice of God or God God's self type of thing, but maybe that's for later on. Oh, great. I mean, I, I appreciate those comments so much because we, we uh, went into uh, an interesting and in some ways um, not completely resolvable um, grammatical and syntactical question about what Labat Eish means. And we a little bit lost the forest of the trees because what we're really supposed to be thinking about is what is actually happening in the scene that Moshe is experiencing and yes, we've got a non-corporeal malach. It seems doesn't seem like it appears as a uh, as, as a as a person. And then from this part forward, that malach is no longer there. The interaction is not between Moshe and the malach. The interaction, if you want to um, sheet ahead to verse four, is vayar Adonai, not vayar malach Adonai. So w- wonderful questions that should not surprise you. I have no direct answers to. But why are we told that this flaming bush is Malach Adonai and not Adonai? Is this, you know, angel saying, you know, be, be ready because God is about to be here. I'm just the introducer. Wonderful, right? Um, what wonderful questions with no great answers. Let's go to Leonard, Rebecca, then Tova, then Rick. So actually, uh, JPS has an answer to Larry's question. Okay, good. It says, the angel has no role in the entire theophany 
It is the fire that attracts Moses' attention, and it is always God himself who speaks. Most likely, the angel is mentioned only to avoid what would be the gross anthropomorphism of God, of localizing God in a bush. So we can't put God into a bush, therefore we'll put an angel there, but then we're going to ignore it afterwards. <laughs> and then the other thing I wanted to mention is just a little um, thing over here, and that is that, not surprisingly, Laba in our verse over here is a hapax legomena. It doesn't appear anywhere else in the in the Torah. Which Labat is? Laba, Ahmed bet hey. Which is which is translated here as a flame, and this is the only place in the whole Bible where the word appears. But uh, interestingly, though not etymologically connected, there's another word laba, which means lava. Interesting. I don't know the English etymology of lava. I don't. My guess is that it's whatever it is. It's not from uh, the, the the Middle Eastern languages. But it's interesting that then it got back translated into a word that originally in Hebrew has something to do with, a, with something aflame. Wonderful. Uh, Tova, Rick, and then we'll look at both Ibn Ezra's. Uh, just real quickly, uh, this discussion reminds me of something that uh, Rabbi Perry Netter said years ago, uh, something to the effect that uh, the thing that truly convinced him that you cannot read Torah literally is when it attempts to convey to us the nature of God or the essence of God or the experience of God, because literally words fail. And I mean, the discussion is fascinating, but it also just brings home to me how difficult it is to convey through our language what that experience is. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful comment. Thank you, uh, Rabbi Netter from from. from from before for, for introducing that idea. It reminds me, Tova, let's see if I can say this succinct, succinctly, as should, should surprise no one, endless Jewish scholars from all different denominations and, and kind of cultures have tried to figure out what actually happened at Sinai and how we got Torah, right? And you know, or you think you know, that the more traditional of answers is that God spoke all these words at Sinai and Moshe records them. But there are people kind of on the edge in that liminal place between a full, devoted, loving embrace of the inherited Mesorah and a love of God and a love of Torah as godly, who are also living in the more modern, intellectually curious um, world um, and trying to make sense of things that, uh, trying, to re- trying to reconcile those two. So two that have really informed my understanding of the origin of Torah are Heschel, which comes as no surprise, and also Rabbi David Weiss Halivni, who is still alive um, and um, in his prime was really the greatest living Talmudist. Um, and I've mentioned him several times in teaching this class. Halivni's um, understanding of, of what you just described is similar to Heschel's. He is not willing to relinquish and surrender the notion of Torah coming from God. If Torah doesn't come from God, then, then, it's, just, then it's just a book. It's, and, and then we're just in a club, a book club. And, and it's not a religion. And he's not willing to surrender that, which I, I identify with. But he's also not willing 
to um, to reject the notion as is present in certain Midrashim of Moshe is simply a stenographer and our actually having, um, you know, the, 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 the exact and pristine words of God transmitted. So Halivni's explanation in his book, Revelation Restored, is that there was a divine, pristine, godly revelation, but the moment it gets to Moshe, you know how like the moment that blood touches air, it changes its color, right? It oxidizes and it's impossible with the human eye to see what blood actually looks like in its color inside the vein because it's instant, right? That the moment it gets into human hands, it gets transformed. It gets transformed and it gets sullied. It gets dirtied by our imperfection, our human imperfection, our non-divinity, even Moshe. So we, there was Torah, there was perfect revelation, but we never saw it because it got transmuted into words and words are human. Words are not divine. There, there's a, a non-verbal revelation from God that exists, according Amen. to you, but the, instantaneously, instantaneously, it becomes um, something that we're going to have to figure out on a human level, which is in the construction of words, right? So um, what your, your comment reminded me of that, that we are dealing with, according to this reading, the residue, the human... Um, the human construction or the human record of what may have been a divine, pristine revelation. Now, of course, all, there are many understandings of Torah that had nothing to do with that, had to do with um, m- many human authors across time recording their own ex- you know, sense of their experience with God and the stories they've inherited. But the Heschelian understanding, which is similar to the David Wise Halivni understanding, jives a little bit with what you shared in terms of uh, Rabbi Netter's recollection. So thank you for that. And, and shows why we have to work so hard to figure it out because we're not even figuring out God's words, as it were, but the human attempt to catch God's words. And it's like it's catching something ephemeral. Rick, Larry, Diane, and then Enib and Ezra. Okay, hi. So um, since um, I think uh, the Hermans brought up Abraham, uh, I just want to say, so you have the Vayera at the beginning and then Vayar. So Vayera starts the first phrase, Vayar is the second phrase. So, and they're related, obviously, and uh, God appeared, and then Moses saw. Back in Abraham, in Vayera, uh, the beginning of Vayera, is God appeared, uh, and then Abraham saw. He lifted up his eyes. Vayar is in the second uh, verse there. So um, I just wanted to to bring out the parallel there, the God can appear all he wants, but if we don't see him, then it doesn't mean anything. So um, both stories uh, emphasize that um, the human actually saw something. With Abraham's case, he doesn't see an angel right away. He sees three men who turn out to be angels, blah, blah, blah. But here, uh, there's no men. It's like Joseph seeing the guy... Uh, you know, the, the man who's not identified on his way to see his brothers. Here, Moses could have seen a guy, he could have seen a Bedouin, uh, but he didn't. He sees the flames. So I just wanted to bring all that out. That's a, that's, that's a really lovely read, that Vayera without Vayar is a tree falling in the forest without anyone. Anybody hearing it, yeah. Uh-huh. We're tempted. It's interesting. Vayera is a passive verb, right? It's in the Nifal, I believe. And it literally means not 
It literally means was seen. We translate it as revealed. In fact, even Uncleus does that. Uncleus translates Vayera not in the, um, the passive Aramaic of to be seen, but, the, but, to, but to be revealed, Vayitgale. He translates Vayar into the Aramaic to see, Vechazak, Chet Zayin Yud is the, is the um, main root of um, Aramaic to see, like Chazon, Chazon is a, is a vision. So we think of Vayera as to be seen, but it's understood as to, as to, as to reveal and what you're saying is that a revelation is only material if there's someone who actually in the passive, in the active, not the passive, actually sees it. So that, that's a wonderful, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for more of that, more um, as I think through Torah, how often Vayera is and is not followed by an active Vayar. Lovely comment. Larry, Diane? Going in a completely different direction. What's a bat call? It's an echo. Oof. Bilabat Esh. The not the flame itself, but in the the echo, in the what you see when you see fire, you see the warping of the of the air, and you don't actually see something. Uh-huh. So you're seeing this image. Maybe nobody understood that this wasn't Labat in the heart of this was Bilabat Esh, like a bat coal. So you're pulling rather than focus on Lev or Lahav, you're saying we can also read this as bat, and the bet and lamed are double prepositions? Yes. Nice. Very nice. Oh. Yeah. If, if not everyone picks up on the reference, what um, Larry's referring to in, in the Talmud, a bat kol, it's a very hard phrase. The daughter of a voice, it refers to um, God speaking, but not, direct, not, not through direct revelation, maybe because the, the rabbis didn't want to imagine direct revelation to Rabbi Eliezer, the same way that God directly revealed God's self to Moshe. So when God thrusts God's self into a rabbinic conversation uh, or a moment, it's through a bat kol, a feminine daughter of a voice. Um, and and, and there have been wonderful essays written as to why that phrase was chosen. Tova, I will t- I take a quote from anywhere. Um, so um, <laughs> he makes his angel spirits and his servants flames of fire. Just say a little bit more about that verse and, and what you're what you're contributing here uh, oh i'm open um i was actually responding to norm and the idea of flames but he was actually asking for the wings of the angels that was the closest i could find yeah. uh, but it did strike me that's interesting that it's using that i i don't know what it is in the aramaic probably um what that flames of fire but it did strike me that that was interesting that it appears to be a comparable phrase but it's being applied to his servants, which would suggest the Malak. Yeah. Right. Okay, so we're in the middle of a Rashi, actually, but I want to compare um, Ibn Ezra Ha'aroch and Ibn, Ibn Ezra Ha'katsar. So if you're, we'll do this quickly, because I know not everyone has it, although you could pull it up on Safari if you want to. So look at the, in, in our book, right underneath Rashi, in the longer Ibn Ezra, as it were, Vayera, sorry, Vayar, no, Vayera, Yesh mefarshim. Some people explain the labat esh, the phrase in labat esh, be lehavat esh, meaning uh, Ibn Ezra says some people just thrust a hay in between the lamed and the bet to suggest that it's not lev, but lahav, and lahav means flame. The hanachon be'enai, but what's correct in my eyes, which is a way of saying that those who read it the previ- previous way are incorrect, ki perusho belev ha'esh. 
it's actually understood to be Belev Ha'esh, in the heart of the fire. Now, again, we don't know what Ibn Ezra means, Belev Ha'esh. The annotator on our page, if you look at footnote 86, says, Betoch Ha'esh, in the midst of. So, so if, if, Evan Eba, if an Ezra says it's not the flame of the fire, but the heart of the fire, what the heart of the fire means is the center of the fire, um, kind of echoing the fact that we're about to have mitoch hasneh from the center of the bush. Um, look at continuing on footnote uh, 86. Lev, the word heart, misamel, signifies, a semel is a sign, toch veemsa, um, within, innards, and center. And he gives the same quote that Rashi gives when Rashi was, if you'll excuse me, hedging his bets, ad lev hashamayim, where God's flame at Sinai went up to the heart, the center of the heavens. Now look at the second Ibn Ezra. It's in the second paragraph of that uh, page. The labat esh, in the flame or in the labat of the esh, yesh omer shahu chaser hey. He says the same thing, just with different words. Some people say that the Torah left out a letter that the root is lahav, that there was a hay in between the lam and the bet. There's a lo yitachin. That is not uh, possible. Ki ein ha-hay me'otiyot hemshech. It's, um, it's, uh, it's very hard to, to explain what he means here, but the, he's basically saying that the hay wouldn't have fallen out, um, and it would take a long time to explain what he means by this notion of otiyot hemshech, letters which continue. But it's not that hays don't fall out of verses, don't Read Lahav, don't read Labak as Lahav or Shalhevet, read it as Lev, Rashi, don't be, um, um, don't be, uh, what's the word, lazy, and try to say it means both things. It only means Lev. Um, once you read Ibn Ezra, you can go back to Rashi and say, why did you need Vishalhevet Eish? You could have just said, the Labat Eish, ah, Libo Shal Eish. And we'll never answer the question as to why Rashi gives both of those. Um, okay, any more on Vayar, Vayera, Malach, Adonai, or Labat Eish before we go to Rashi on Mitoch Hasneh? Going once? Okay, Marshall, you're our reader of records. If you can unmute yourself and go to the back up to the Rashi, the fourth line of our Rashi, the Dibur HaMachil is Mitoch Hasneh. Okay, so I can give you Mitoch Hasneh, then I give you the Tanhuma after that. And after that, a guru or yeah, if we have time later. Mitoch hasneh v'lo ilan acher, and not in any other tree. Kemot mishum, as I guess like. And it's quoting a verse from Tehillim 91, verse 15. I am with him in distress, I guess. Yeah, so let me, sh- let me bring up that verse. We can look at it together. Okay, so this is Psalm 91. It appears in our liturgy several times. It appears in the, um, the Kedusha de Sidra that is uh, read at different parts of services. It also is read when you are pr- um, processing a coffin to the grave. And the person who's officiating, walk, if, it's not, if it's not a day where Tafelim is omitted, pauses seven times as the coffin is being brought to the final resting place to show that we're not rushing to do this holy act. And in this verse, um, verse 15 of Psalm 91, if you, you might find the beginning of the chapter familiar, Yoshev Beseter Elyon, the one who dwells in the, in the, in the shelter of up, up high. Right? So in our verse, Yikra'eni, when God calls out to me, Ve'enehu, 
I answer him, or I will answer him, Imo Anochi Vitsara. Um, um, I, sorry, this is from God's voice. So when, when, when he, meaning a human, a Jew, calls out to me, I will answer him. Why will I answer him? Because with him, Imo Anochi, I, God, Vitsara, I am with him in distress. So that's the, that's the verse itself. It continues, I will rescue him. I'll, I'll, I'll lift him up. Um, Marshall or anyone else, what's Rashi's point? By using this proof text that God is with us in distress, how does that answer the question, the implied question, why a sneh, right? A sneh is a, is, is, is a, a bush. It's not a grand, it's not an, it's not an elah, it's not a terebin, it's not a grand oak, right? So by Rashi saying it's in a sneh and not in a different tree, and the explanation is this verse, I am with them in distress, what has actually been said? Barry? <clears throat> We're, we're in a yucky, sticky situation, and God's with us. Okay, and so, ha- yes, and how does that connect to the, the, and the aura and, and, in which God appear to, uh, appears? In the age, uh, God's right here with us in this, the heart of this trouble. Okay, except that Rashi is commenting not in, in this particular spot in the Aish part, but the snap part. He's he's saying trying to say something about the snap, which is an interesting. I'm not sure it's a hapax legamnon. Maybe um, Leonard will tell us, but it's not a common word. What what has what has Rashi done to understanding of the appearance and the snap by quoting the verse from Psalms 91? Larry, Diane, Tova, and then Norm, Rachel. So a snap is a lowly bush, and so. People in distress, where the image is not of something tall and grand. It's of something small and low and lowly. Good, right? And we're going to see, I imagine um, uh, Marshall is going to share with us the fuller version of the Tanchuma. And this is part of a theme, right? We're going to see Midrashim about this regarding Sinai, right? Sinai was not Everest. Sinai was one, one of the lower mountains of the area. God did not appear to Moshe in the gray, in the in the redwoods, but in a thorn bush, right? And, and note the similarity between Sna and Sinai. Good, very good, very good. Um, uh, Norm and Rachel. Um, I was going to say something similar. It's a thorn bush. It's unpleasant. It's uh, not merely low, but it's thorny. It's unpleasant. It's not probably not a, a fruit bearing or, or berry bearing bush that would be attractive for any purpose to him. Um, but it is symbolic of the situation that the Jews are in. We're downtrodden. We're not seen as strong and we're in a very thorny situation. Well, well done with the English pun, right? And it's as if, it's as if the verse is saying something both localized to this moment and generalized about God's relationship with the Jewish people localized. I God I'm going to put myself, as it were, in, in, in the same place that you're in. You, you are in Mitzrayim. I'm in a sneh. I'm going to fully, in my revelation to your Savior, I'm going to fully identify, to the extent that I can as God, with your predicament, which is low, debased, unpleasant. And from that place, imo anochi v'tzara. I am. It's not just that I'm going to rescue from tzara. I'm with you in the tzara. Right? Like that that wonderful Hallmark card footprints uh, notion, right? I was the one carrying you through that. I'm with you in it. I've shared this before. Um, 
a wonderful description of psychotherapy that I learned from a psychotherapist that I knew in New York who had described to me, and I think this applies to pastoral care as well, that the essence of psychotherapy is to allow yourself to be fully infected, that's the word he used, by the other person's pain and reality, because it's only from that full infection of their pain to you that you can have bring out true empathy. It's not just that you're helping them in while they are in their pain, you are allowing their pain to be your pain temporarily so that there is a true understanding, right? So God might be saying here, according to this Midrash, it's not just that I see that you're in a snare. I'm in the snare with you. I'm in the snare with you and we're going to come out of it together. Now, I'm not impacted by being in the snare because I'm God, but I'm in the snare with you. Um, someone's hand was up and it's down again. If you were going to say something, please raise it again. Uh, Leonard, Rebecca, um, and then Renee. Uh, to answer your question, uh, SNE is not a hapexagon. No? It appears okay. elsewhere. Uh, but then I saw another comment over here from somebody named Daad Zakinim. I don't know who that is. But he says, Mitoch hasne wafishe i efshar min hasne wa asot tzlamim wa avadazara. The reason that God chose this bush to reveal himself is that what's impossible to construct an idol or a deity or a symbol of a deity out of a bush. Huh. Very interesting. Datskinim, by the way, is a, is a compilation of Hiroshima the Torah, not by one individual, but by those from the from the same schools of scholars that produce the Tosafot, just like Tosafot on the Talmud are not, is not one sage, but a group of sages who are coming in the Talmud, their commentary, that group's commentary on the Torah is called Dat Zakinim, the knowledge of the elders. Great. Thank you, Rebecca, uh, Leonard. Um, Renee. So I just, it occurs to me that maybe this is a situation where like a parent when it, when your child is in pain, you feel pain as well. That has, when Hashem's people are in pain, Hashem feels their pain also. Good. And this is also evocative of a midrash that, we're, that we, that we um, are not exposed to right now of Moshe, right? That, how, how, does Mo, how does Moshe get to this part of the desert, right? That he went after that lone uh, forlorn sheep. That Moshe is also a leader who identifies with the experience of those he is leading, God as well. Um, let's get back to Marshall, and I want to hear um, the the Tanchuma that you were you were uh, tempting us with. So please unmute yourself again because you've been muted. Okay, I'll read phrase by phrase. V'lama hasne? Why from the midst of the sne, the bush? V'lo mitoch ilan gadol and not from the midst of a great tree or a big tree. Velomi toch tamra, and not from the midst of a date palm. Amar Kadosh Baruch Hu, God said, Katafti Torah, quote, Imo Nochi I've written in the Torah, I am with him in distress. And we see that in Tehillim 91.15. Hem netunim b'shibud. The people of Israel were given or in a status of, of uh, subjugation. And so to am I in the this thorn bush from a narrow place. Hmm. And therefore, from the midst of the snare, for all the snare is 
of thorn. Good. That's what Renee had written into the into the comments. So Baruch Shekivant, Renee, you anticipated the Tanchuma. Mm-hmm. Great, great. We also, the Gur Aryeh, which sort of expands on that. Ka'asher Yisrael Batsara, when the Israel is in distress, Ein Malchuto Shel Adonai Bishleimut, that the sovereignty of God is not in its fullness. Ulficha Chaya Nir Alo Basnep, and therefore it appeared. To him in the bush, Shehu im Am Yisrael Batsara, for he is with the people Israel in distress. It's a very interesting comment by the Gur Aryeh. Gur Aryeh, to remind you, is the Maharal of Prague's commentary on Rashi. He's not commenting on the verse, commenting on Rashi, because there's a subtle but important difference between saying that God is kind of showing God's self to be identifying with the Israelites' predicament by appearing in a humble bush, that's, that's Aleph. Bet, what the Maharal, Maharal is saying is, God is actually diminished. Not just God is feigning or, or presenting God's self as diminished, but when the Israelites are, in, are enslaved, when a Jew is in distress, if we want to be you know, very jingoistic about it, then God, God's self is limited. God, God's self is less. God, God's self is actually in pain. So it's not just a play that God is in the bush. God is actually in the bush, um, which says, which which has plenty of ramifications as you understand uh, the, uh, the 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 connections between the earthly Jewish people and the divine God. Right? God actually um, d- in distress when we are in distress. Uh, Joel, you get the last comment of the day. Vakasha. Okay. Um, if you allow me, if you want to have a non-literal reading of this, a more Please. metaphorical, psychological reading of this. Please. This could be a drash all in and of itself. If you read, Moshe was obviously a very um, angry, uh, passionate person, right? He first thing he does is he kills the taskmaster, and he's constantly fighting through this, you know, hitting the rock instead of speaking to the rock, all that sort of thing. If we read Sne as from the Related to the word sinah, he, God appeared through Moses's anger, through his hatred, and through that he says you can use that to then help the people. And even though the snet was not ukal, the snet his his hatred never went away. He used that, and he used that to, you know, eventually save the people. I love that, right? It, ma- it makes no etymological sense, which is not a problem. Like the rabbis play with uh, samech to sin and sin to samech all the time, and they play with the sounds of words, even when they understand they're not related. So um, I-, I, can, I can imagine a midrash uh, written by, by, by Chazal that plays on that idea. So, so, so that's, that's really wonderful and um, leads to, to, to many different ways of understanding the psychological character of motion. Uh, let's end it here. We didn't even finish the Rashi. We didn't get to the Rashi on Ukal, right? The Pu'al form of Ochel to eat, to be, to consume. And we'll start with that next time. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.